0: We only have two questions today. But these questions are linked. Now, the one who asked the questions didn't necessarily know that these questions are linked, but they are. So Luke 15 is our beginning point. Why does Jesus tell us, why does Luke tell us that Jesus told one parable when he really told three stories? Now, I've talked a little bit about this last week, but I guess I didn't speak enough about it because the question got asked. So here we go. Parables, and understanding parables is always an interesting thing. Jesus helps us to understand some of the parables by saying this means this, this means that, that means that, that means that, but you can't apply that every parable sometimes Jesus tells a story and we need to look at what the overall story is conveying sometimes he tells a story where we can very easily say okay like, like with the, the parable of the grains that are sung you can say okay now I understand that this represents people who don't hear people who hear but then follow away Here are three stories that he tells for a specific purpose, and we'll find the purpose in Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to hear him. Sinners covers a great variety of people. If you're a Pharisee, anybody who's not a Pharisee is probably a sinner, unless you're a Sadducee, in which case you're probably tolerable because you've got to get along with one another. But if you are poor, if you are a woman, if you are ill, you are like a tax collector. You really don't have any role in society. So stay away from the Pharisees." So the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Jesus had that ability to get people from all walks of life to go and hear the good news. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They were good at this, in grumbling. Very seldom do we find a Pharisee going, Thank you, Lord, for what you've done through Jesus. They tend to grumble a lot. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The only thing worse than allowing a sinner to come to you if you are a rabbi and Jesus was a rabbi is for you to go and eat with them. You should never eat with the tax collector. You should never eat with the sinner. Because to eat with someone in that society was to say, you're okay. Jesus tended to eat with anybody who asked him in for dinner. He eats with Zacchaeus. In fact, he tells Zacchaeus, By the way, when this is all done, I'm going to your house, so you better get ready. But if you're a rabbi, it is culturally horrible for you to eat with a sinner. It's bad enough to receive them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having 100 sheep if he is lost, one of them does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Think about having $101 bills. Now having $101 bills makes a big wad in your pocket or your purse. So you're out walking around and because it's filled up your pocket, you set the money down. And one of them blows away up the street. Now when I travel in Zambia, when I travel in Swaziland, and I change my money from US money into Swazi money or into Zambian money, you get a wheelbarrow barrel full of money for $3.19 that's kind of how I feel when I read this story. So which one of you having a hundred dollars when one dollar blows away is going to go chase it down and leave the <clears> hundred? <throat> how many of you are that silly? If you chase the one dollar, I can tell you what's going to happen to the 99. The wind will pick it and blow it up. Somebody will come by and decide you don't need the ninety-nine dollars, and they obviously need it more. Which one of you, having an investment, will leave ninety-nine percent of the investment and go and search in one percent of the investment? Nobody. Nobody will do that. But this. This man leaves his ninety-nine sheep in the open fields and goes in search of the one. That is the extravagant love of God. It defies all rationality. And Jesus says, this is how much God loves sinners. God will go after the one who is lost but the ninety-nine who are left in the open field who don't know they're lost are left in the open field. Then he tells the story of a woman who has ten silver coins. These ten silver coins are on all likelihood for dowry. If husband dies or divorces her. This is her money to live on. She loses one of the coins. So what does she do? She looks everywhere until she finds it. And then she rejoices, just like the guy rejoiced when he brought his sheep home. Now, in my wacko sense of humor, I've always imagined he brings his sheep home and then they slaughter it and have a nice party. It's not going to run off again that way. I've always imagined that this woman with ten silver coins spends that coin that got lost and has a nice party for her friends and neighbors. Now, that's not in the text, so just write that off. Then... said there was a man who had two sons and you know the story and we focus on the son who went astray the son who went to dad and said dad I can hardly wait till you die so give me what is owed me when you die and the man And then Junior went off to a foreign land and he parted and he had a great time. And then there was a great crisis because he had no more money and there was a famine in the land and the guy went to find work. And this nice Jewish kid could only find work in the foreign land taking care of pigs. This is about as low as low can be. He is lower than Palm He's not just a snail. He's a slug. This is what he feels about himself. He's a cockroach. He is not (laughs) worth anything. In fact, it has gotten so bad that if he didn't still have a little bit of honesty, he'd be eating the pig's food. So he decides to go home. And he has a whole speech prepared. And on his way home, you can hear him rehearsing the speech over and over and over and over all the way home. I'm going to go back to dad. I'm going to say, dad, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And the dad looks at him from afar off and says, my son. And he runs and he sees his son. And son gives a speech. I am not worthy to be called your son. Dad pays no attention to speak. He says to his servants, Bring the ring. Bring the robe. My son was dead. My son is alive. He's back. Let's rejoice. Let's have a party. And we all focus on that son. And we should. But we forget the older brother. One who did wish his father dead. And when the party is declared and everybody is dancing and they're having a great time together, the older son grumbles, Rumbles. You got that word? He grumbles. He is angry. He refused to go in. And he says to his daddy, Daddy, all these years that I served you, I've never disobeyed you. You never gave me a young goat. I can celebrate with my friends. (laughs) This is the Pharisees' response when Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. Notice what dad says, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and his family. These Pharisees are not happy that people are coming to repent. They are ticked off. Why? Because they are unworthy folks. Those sinners, those disgusting tax collectors, those harlots, those awful people, there is no place in God's kingdom for them. Why? Because they are not worthy. Thanks be to God. God loves us. Amen. And we're not worthy. But he loves us so much he sent his son into the world. Now turn over a page or two to get to Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus speaks to his disciples and then the Pharisees come and get down to verse 14 and they've got a little question about the law and the kingdom of God and then Jesus tells them another story. This story has been used by a variety of teachers for a variety of purposes and you're probably going to hear something that you probably don't hear very often. And that is that I'm going to tell you something a little bit different about our approach to this story. The story of the rich man, Lazarus. You know the story. It's a fun story, by the way. I just think it's a great story. You can see this like a good movie rolling through your head. There's a rich man, and then the rich man eats like a pig. And in his gate is a poor man named Lazarus. By the way, this is the only parable in which you get a name. And Lazarus is sick. He's covered with sores. And what he really wants is a little bit of stuff off the rich man's table. But he gets nothing. The poor man dies, the story says, and is carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man dies and is buried, and in Hades, being in torment, lifts up his eyes and sees Father Abraham, and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in a little bit of water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in this flame. And Abraham says, "Uh uh-uh. Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things Lazarus in like manner had bad things so he's comforted and you're in anguish and even if I could send him there's a great chasm between the two of us and nobody can cross over I tell you nobody can cross over and try to make it bad so the rich man says Father Abraham send somebody to speak to my brother so they don't end up in the same place that I am. Notice, if you get down to verse 29, what Father Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And the rich man says, no, Father Abraham, that if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said, him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If you're going to use this story to base your concept of salvation on, you're in deep trouble. Why does the rich man go to Hades? No, the text says he went to Hades. Because he had a comfortable life. Doesn't say a word about whether he did or didn't believe in God. But the rich man goes to Hades because he had luxury. Why does the poor man go to Abraham's bosom? Because he suffered. Not because he trusted in God, but because he suffered in this life. Let me ask you, does that conform to everything that you know about salvation? If you live a comfortable life in this life, you're going to go to hell. If you live an uncomfortable life in this life, you're going to go to heaven. That's what the story is teaching. Do you believe that's what this story should be teaching you? Jesus never talks this way in any of the other stories he tells. So you say, if we compare this story with the other stories and with everything that we know about Jesus who tells us stuff about salvation over and over and over again, does this story ring true? Yes and no. This story is not intended to be taken in its details to tell you how you receive salvation and how you don't receive salvation. The rich guy goes to Hades because he's rich. The poor guy goes to Abraham's bosom because he's poor and suffered and the dogs came and licked his sores. So if you want to go directly to heaven, make sure you're poor and miserable in this life and then you can jump your way right into heaven, whether or not you believe in God. If we accept this story at face value, that's what Jesus is teaching. That it is directly contrary to what Jesus teaches about salvation. You want to be saved, trust God. Rich, poor, trust God. If you want to have salvation, look to Jesus. And he will give you salvation. God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever is rich will go to hell and whoever is poor and miserable will go to heaven. No! God sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. So what's the point of this story? Look at the last He said to them if they do not hear Moses and the prophets neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead we have an easier time to looking at this text and understanding it then did the listeners in Jesus day why because Jesus rose from the dead. They didn't believe him in his earthly life. They didn't like him. They didn't want anything to do with him because he received sinners, because he ate with them. And Jesus told these Pharisees that everyone who comes to him, he will not cast out. He is the only way to salvation. The way to salvation is not to be poor and miserable, and have the dogs lick your open wounds, the way to salvation is to trust in Jesus. So let's look at the story as a whole. What is Jesus telling his listeners? His listeners are the Pharisees, who've been reading Moses and the Law and the Prophets their whole lives long, and here they have the promised Messiah standing in front of them, and they go, he's not our Messiah, We don't like the way he acts. We don't like the things he does. We don't like the way he teaches. We don't like the way that he hangs out with people who are sinners. We don't like the fact that he goes to parties. We don't like the fact that he says he has the power to forgive sins. We don't like the fact that he heals people on the Sabbath. The only thing that we like about him is when he's going to be dead, we will like it. And when he's raised from the dead, what do they say? He's not raised from the dead. The disciples took the body. They did something with it. He can't be raised from the dead. That's not the way things work in this life. And we want that man dead, 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 dead. We don't want anything to do with him. And if he's alive, it means there's truth in his message. And Jesus says, They have the scriptures which preach about me. They won't listen even if someone referring to himself, should rise from death. There are other good reasons to believe that eternity in the presence of God for those who trust in him. There are other good reasons to believe that apart from God, there is no salvation and people will spend eternity completely separated from him. This story. There are too many problems with this story to use this to prove those points. Like with the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, Jesus tells a story to people that don't think that salvation is offered to the rotten in society, which means everybody they don't like. Jesus says, the law and the prophets speak about me. You need to trust in me for salvation. And that is the only way." Let's pray. God of grace and mercy and love, we thank you that while we were sinners, Your son came into this world to bear our sin, to die the death we deserve, to be raised to life, to be ascended into heaven. We thank you that your kingdom is open to any who trust in you, to all who call on you, for there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your love and mercy praise you that in Jesus we are forgiven and we have eternal life. We praise you in his mighty name. Amen. For those of you that don't want to come forward, there are some elements of communion back there that you want to receive those who are more than welcome. The scriptures tell us that on the night he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this as often as we eat it, remembering him. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. Again he gave thanks. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you and for many, the remission of sins. Do this as often as you drink. Remember me. practice an open communion here at the yard. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're invited to take him the bread and take him the cup and rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Father, thank you for what you have done. Salvation is beyond us except for what you have done. We could not be righteous enough. We could not be good enough. We couldn't love you enough. So instead, you made it possible for us to have life through your Son. So as we take the bread and as we take the cup, may we know the presence of our Lord who came to give us life. We praise you in his name.